seriously, I want to thank you for being here today. Uh, you don't know what it means to a pastor. You don't know what it means to leaders when they see people loving their church enough to come and basically say, you know, God, this servant or seminar is about me serving you better, serving the church better. And I want to avail myself of this opportunity that just speaks volumes about your character, your quality. And I want to thank you for being great servants of the Lord. Uh, we're talking about faithfulness. We're talking about the traits of great supportive ministers. And we said loyalty was first, attitude second, faithfulness third. And part of faithfulness is just sticking to things, just not quitting. One person said, be like a postage stamp. Stick to one thing until it gets there. And just when you hang in and don't quit and, and uh, are dependable, reliable. Uh, we, we talked about, um, you know, we talked about the difference between Apollos and Timothy. Apollos had great talent. Timothy had great attitude. And Timothy ended up being the one that was most highly used and most highly uh, regarded in Scripture. But we don't want to downplay talent. You know, we need talented people as well. Um, I don't just want a faithful person leading worship. I want a skilled person, you know. Um, well, they're faithful, but it, it hurts when they sing, you know. So um, uh, we, want, we want people that have skills. So, and I know your worship team is awesome here. And um, so, but, you know, it all starts, it all starts in that attitude realm. And one of my favorite stories, and I don't know if I told this the last time I was here uh, or, or any of the times I was here, but uh, there was a, a church I've preached at in Missouri. It's in central Missouri, and I'm telling you, it is out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's a little town of Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E. And when you drive into town, at least the last time I was there, it had one of those green signs that gives you the population. And the population was 663. You're really close to the Antichrist if you stop and think about it. Just they get three more people. We're in big trouble. But anyway, and uh, and 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 this little town—it's not close to anything. It's not like it's bumped up against some larger town. It's not. And uh, I did this seminar there years ago, and um, the pastor told me afterwards. He said, "Tony, I've got to tell you about a guy." He said. Um, when my wife and I first came to this town, this pastor is why I've been there a long time. He said, we had people that were, in, they, they'd come to hear the word and they wanted to, they wanted to worship, they wanted to hear the word, but nobody really wanted to serve. He said, they loved Jesus, but they just didn't have much of a revelation about, um, you know, the ministry of the body and believers working together and everybody doing their part. And he said, they just all were real happy to let my wife and I do everything. And he said, so if the carpet was going to be swept, we swept the carpet. If the um, grass was going to be mowed, we mowed. If a bathroom needed to be painted, we painted it. And he said, we just did everything. He said, now we'd ask people, would you help us? And Well, they'd help us do that one item that we asked them to do. And as soon as that was done, they were done. There was nobody who was eagerly leaning into serving. Nobody proactively, pastor, what can I do to be a blessing? How can I help the church? Everybody's happy to receive, not too many people happy to serve. And he said um, they had this uh, lady in church. Her husband did not come to church, but he was known as the meanest, kind of nastiest guy in town. Uh, if anything bad happened in town, they pretty much people thought about him first. And in a town that small, everybody knows everybody's business. And his name was Bob. And anyway, Bob shows up at church one Sunday. And he had the reputation in town. He was the, the cheating, uh, carousing, drinking, womanizing, gambling. He just, you name it, he did it. <clears throat> and um, didn't have a good reputation in town at all. At the end of the service, and he had slipped in late. Nobody knew he was even there except the pastor because he's facing the congregation. And the pastor gives the altar call. And um, Bob comes down. He, he walks the aisle and comes to the front and Everybody was shocked. You know, it's like when people are sitting there and they notice somebody's going by and they look and, you know, it's kind of like, because this guy, he just, he was the meanest, baddest, cussingest, just, he just didn't have, have a good reputation in town. And, but anyway, he comes down, stands with the pastor, accepts Jesus, prays, and um, 
goes back and sits down. Now, have you ever heard of a testimony of somebody who, when they accept Jesus, just everything about them changes? Habits and their language and their demeanor, their character and all that. You've heard those amazing transformations? Didn't happen with Bob. Let's just say some of these habits were deeply, deeply ingrained in his character. And uh, one of the things that, you know, people, the way people talk is is a real quick indicator. And Bob, he was, he, he was a professional cusser and um, he just, he kept cussing after he accepted Jesus. And people were even wondering, well, did the guy even get saved, you know? And if you're having a theological debate argument, he would be a real good uh, case study for sanctification as a process as opposed to, you know, a real instantaneous work. And, um, but everybody kind of wondered, did he, but he kept coming to church and things like that. And about a month after Bob came down and prayed, uh, they had a, a seminar on a Saturday morning and it was a helps seminar. You know what the Bible calls the ministry of helps just for volunteers and just to kind of teach and get people thinking about serving and all that. And Bob comes up to the pastor after that, that Saturday morning seminar, and he said, uh, Pastor, he said, uh, I don't know much about that blankety-blank help stuff that guy's talking about. But he said, uh, but I think God wants me to do it. Now, Pastor John, what do you do? What do you do when somebody comes up and tells you that they are called to the blankety-blank helps ministry? See, should we make it? Let's put them in as a greeter. No, can't do that. Put them with the two-year-old. No, you can't do that either. So the pastor, he didn't know what to do. And um, because, you know, nobody's even sure if this guy's really saved or not. And he's still cussing. He's still doing a bunch of the stuff. Uh, but his heart seemed to be open. He, he seemed to have this hunger and interest. And so the pastor didn't know what to do. So he did a typical thing that I think a lot of us do. The pastor said, well, let's pray about it, Bob. Now, don't laugh about that because you know, you've used prayer as a, well, I'm going to pray about it, you know? And, uh, so just don't use prayer as a procrastination tool. But anyway, the, the pastor felt like he had no choice. So, um, but the pastor began watching Bob, and he did, like I said, he didn't turn into the perfect saint overnight, but uh, Bob had always, like a lot of people, had been very selfish, and even with his wife, uh, he would, like, if he's going to leave the church building, uh, Bob would just, he'd walk toward the door, he'd hit the door, the door would fly open, Bob would walk out, the door would close on his wife, and she'd open, she's used to it, I mean, she'd been married to him for years, and um, he's just, he was inconsiderate, just didn't think about anybody but himself. And the pastor began to notice after, after Bob said, I think I'm called to the blankety blank helps ministry, um, that Bob began to just be more considerate. He'd, he'd hit the door, start to walk out and then he'd stop. And then he'd go back and he'd hold the door for his wife. And, and if, if, and, and he was in no position, he had no title, but the pastor noticed that if, if he, the pastor, was walking toward the door, Bob would just say, here, pastor, let me help you. And what happened is that help, helps, began to come from the inside out. He still had a lot of cleaning up to do. Uh, probably another month or two after that, the pastor was out mowing the yard. And because, uh, like I said, the pastor did everything. Uh, just there were no people that were really volunteering proactively to help. And the pastor's out mowing the, the grass and he sees Bob drive by and he, and they wave at each other, real small town. So he, and, 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 uh, Bob put the car in reverse, backed up, came in the church parking lot and walks out. So the pastor turns the mower off that he's a little riding mower. And Bob says, pastor, what are you doing on that blankety blank lawnmower? And, uh, you know, some of these things, we hold these truths to be self-evident. He said, uh, well, Bob, he said, I'm mowing the yard. And he said, yeah, yeah. He said, uh, you know, I was just thinking, Pastor, he said, I just reading my Bible today. And 
he said, uh, I read in the book of Acts, he said, I was reading in the sixth chapter how that the apostles, and he said, now those were the preachers, right, pastor? And the pastor, yeah, Bob, in the early church, they were preachers were the apostles. He said, I just read where the apostles said it really wasn't a good idea for them to get involved in some of this stuff with tables and distribution of things. And he said, so they appointed some people to handle that so that the uh, preachers could pay attention to prayer and to study and ministry of the word. He said, did I read that right, pastor? And the pastor said, yeah, Bob, you sure did. He said, well, you know what? He said, uh, pastor, you know, I'm rough around the edges. He said, I got a lot of growing to do, a lot of learning to do. And he said, I'm trying to let God work in my life. But he said, I bet you could get a better sermon if you would get off that mower and go to your office and study and pray and let me mow the yard. And he said, as a matter of fact, pastor, he said, I don't want you to ever mow this yard again. He said, I'm going to mow it from now on. And the pastor said, here's the keys, Bob. And the pastor told me, he said, now, he said, Bob served in our church for 10, 15 years before he went home to be with the Lord at an older age. And he said, I've never had anybody like Bob. He said, he was constantly looking for ways to serve. And he said, it wasn't just a title. It wasn't just a position. It was something in his heart. And he said, I've never had anybody like that since, before or since. You know, that'll get some pastors saying, God, send me some people that cuss, you know. (laughs) Now, seriously, seriously, uh, he said Bob did get his language sanctified and he quit cussing, but he said he never lost, never lost his heart to serve. And he said, I could depend on Bob. If something needed to be done, he'd be looking for it. And he said a lot of times, and this is a real compliment, a lot of times he'd fix things before I even knew they were broken. And that's a real blessing. Um, here's a, a phrase. So, so great supportive ministers are faithful, dependable, reliable. They're looking for ways to serve. Um, and really, you know, serving God, uh, one, one thing that some pastors have told me is they had to get over the idea of feeling sorry and bad about asking people to serve. It's kind of like apologetically. And one pastor talked about, he said, I had to get over that and realize that if serving God is the greatest thing we can do on earth, I should never feel guilty asking somebody to serve. Serving should be a blessing, not a burden. It should be a, a, a joy, not, a, not a, a, a chore. And I believe that's very true. But another thing about great supportive ministers, and this is so huge, and that is that great supportive ministers, and I'm going to borrow a term from our first grade report cards, great supportive ministers play well with others. How many of you remember that term on an early, early report card? Plays well with others. And I stop and think about that, and I think about my own career through school and some of the subjects I did not do well in. I I didn't do well in algebra, and I didn't do well in chemistry. For whatever reason, my brain didn't process that stuff well. Did great in English, history, and all that, but algebra, chemistry, I didn't do well in, but um, took a lot of different classes, a lot of different subjects, but why they took that off our report cards plays well with others after about second or third grade. I don't know. I took some of those algebra, chemistry courses in high school, a little bit in college and all that, and I can't think of a thing in the world I've ever used algebra, chemistry for. But plays well with others, I use every day of my life. I think that should be a mandatory item on our report cards all the way through the Ph.D. level. Plays well with others. Because seriously, I've known people, I I actually got a call from a pastor. It's in the Northwest, it's over in New York, but... um, he told me that, he said, Tony, he said, I've got this dilemma. He said, I've got this guy, he's part of our leadership team. And he said, Tony, he's more intelligent and more skilled than any three people put together. He said, he is so talented. He is such a high achiever. And I said, well, what's the problem? He said, he knows it. And he says, he's got something in his personality that in addition to being an ultra high achiever, He said he comes across in a way that he's always putting other people down. And he said nobody wants to work with him. He said um, 
if I, if I assign him as part of a team to do something, he will be more talented than anybody on the team. And he knows he's more talented than everybody on the team. He knows he's smarter than everybody on the team. But he says he makes everybody else feel intimidated and inferior. And he says people just, they don't, they don't want to work with him. And um, so I ended up, you know, and this person was actually a staff, a paid staff member. And, um, you know, I, I talked with the pastor through it, and he gave the guy an opportunity to go in and get some counseling. And, to, you know, he said, look, I, you, you're, you're so talented. But he said, the problems you create by being offensive to people, that's one thing. You know, we teach people don't be offended and that type of thing. But on the other hand, let's not be offensive either. And uh, this guy was just so highly offensive the way he talked down to people and they'd make the slightest mistake and he would ridicule them. He wanted to show his superiority by making other people feel inferior. And um, he ended up, over time, he ended up having to let him go. And he said, it broke my heart because he said, this guy had so much talent. But, um, you know, it kind of reminds me... um, John Wooden, you all know John Wooden coached UCLA for many years. Uh, He had a guy on his team one year. John Wooden won 10 NCAA championships in 12 years. Just nobody's come close to that kind of record. But um, he had a guy on his team one year, and this guy was the best player on the team far and above. And John Wooden told him at the beginning of the season, I'm not starting you. And the guy said, how can you not start me? I'm the best player on the team. And he said, you are the best player on the team. He said, but the team is not best when you're in. He said, because you are the best, he said, and you know you're the best, he said, everybody on the team knows that whenever you touch the ball, you're going to shoot it. You're not going to pass to anybody else. You're not going to set up a play for somebody else. And he says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be the best player on the team, and the team's going to lose. Because of the way you play, everybody else is going to, as soon as you get the ball, they quit playing. And he says, I can put five guys out there. He said, I can put not, not the best player, but I can put the five guys who play best together and will win games. And he said, until you learn how to be a team player, he said, you're not starting. Now, that takes a lot of guts for a coach to do that. Also takes a lot of wisdom for a coach to do that. But um, plays well with others. How do we get along with other people? Because ministry and church is all about people. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Do you have love one for another? You know, not that you have the the fanciest this or the most eloquent this or the most dynamic this, but because you have love one for another. And one of the challenges we face in America is that American culture, which is big on celebrity, whatever's in the culture of a society tends to bleed into the church. And that's where you have a lot of churches across America that become almost personality cults. Uh, it becomes a celebrity. It becomes a show from the, you know, platform. And what we always have to remember is that the platform doesn't exist to put on a show for the congregation. The platform exists to lead the congregation and not to entertain but to equip. We're here in ministry. The fivefold ministry and those that serve on the platform are here to equip the saints so that the saints can do the work of the ministry. Really, uh, you know, the purpose of the platform is to put tools into the hands of the congregation. One of the things we talked about earlier, just I kind of alluded to it on the hospital visitation. Um, I, some of my pastor friends, and it's not that they don't love people, it's just that they know that, that uh, the role of believers is to minister to one another. The Bible says, encourage one another, pray for one another, exhort one another, uh, be kind to one another. And some of my pastor friends hardly make any uh, hospital calls. And it's not that they won't, it's that they have trained the people to minister to each other. 
And one of my pastor friends said uh, to his congregation, he said, listen, he said, we've got some people in the church that really know how to pray. And we've trained them to make these hospital visits and things like that. And, and man, they are so good at coming in and encouraging and helping. And, and one pastor friend of mine said, if I show up at the hospital, that probably means you're about to die. And he is half kidding, but he said, really, these people are better than I am at this. And so, um, again, nothing wrong with anybody making hospital visits, but, but our, our ultimate goal should be we want to have such a family, a loving family, an encouraging family, that it's not just who has the title, but, but we're all just busy loving one another. And somebody's going through a problem, and we, we flood in and surround them with love and prayer and faith and it's it's uh it's family we've equipped the saints to do the work of the ministry so plays well with others let me give you three dimensions of that three dimensions of playing well with others Uh, first of all we have to play well with those in authority can we respect authority and you know that's primarily the pastoral office but also those uh, who have been delegated authority department heads, different things like that. Um, the Bible says in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. And the Bible does say that there are people who rule over us. And this is specifically speaking spiritually. There's other verses that talk about our civil authorities and things like that. But this is talking about people who watch out for our souls. And so this is talking about spiritual leaders. And the Bible says that they must give an account. And so, Pastor John, you know, welcome to leadership because someday you're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to talk to you and you're going to look him in the eyes and he's going to look you in the eyes and he's going to ask you what you did to lead and feed and love these people. And um, how many of you would like to answer for that? That's a heavy, heavy responsibility. So we should pray for all of our leaders. Uh, but you know, And the Bible says to let them do it with joy and not with grief. So ask yourself the question, if I was a pastor, what would bring me joy? Well, it'd be to have people that are faithful, that are committed, people that send in their tithes, even if you miss us because of a snow day, um, you know, things like that. People that are just faithful, reliable, dependable, loving, supportive, you know, generous, kind, and uh, let them do their jobs with joy and not with grief. And so part of our prayer can be, Lord, let me be the kind of church member that causes Pastor John to praise, not pray. I want to contribute to Pastor John's praise life, you know, not his prayer life. So anyway, um, we not only need to uh, get along well with those in authority, but we need to get along well with our co-leaders and our teammates, our, our, the individuals that we play with. Uh, some people do well submitting to authority, but they don't do well with their peers. Patrick Ewing played for the Knicks. I'm sure many of you know him. Said uh, the greatest players fit with the team. They play within the team style rather than asking the team to change its style. I have to tell you, I'm a Larry Bird fan because I'm from Indiana. And if you're a big Celtics fan, then you, you and I share something in common. Uh, By the way, how many Celtics fans are here? Okay, I just want you to know, you stole our coach. <laughs> I went to Butler University, and, um, and so you have Brad Stevens now, and I forgive you for stealing. <laughs> he was doing so good at Butler. So anyway, but um, because I was a big Larry Bird fan, I did not like the Los Angeles Lakers. Anybody else join me in not liking the Lakers? And, uh, you know, back when they had those real intense rivalries with the Lakers, with Kareem and Magic and that type of thing. But they had a player on that Lakers team. They were a great team also. But they had a player named Kurt Rambis. Does anybody remember Kurt Rambis? And uh, <laughs> yeah, we might need to take everybody through deliverance here. But um, um, 
Kurt Rambis, I never liked the guy because he, he always got in and he just seemed to, you know, help the Lakers a lot. But he said, there are people, this is what Kurt Rambis said, he said, there's people with a lot more talent than I have who have been weeded out of the league because they couldn't put their egos aside to fill a role. I didn't like him, but that's a great statement. Because some, we do have to we put our egos aside to fill a role. And, and getting along well with our teammates, with our peers in ministry means that we're not to be in competition with one another, but we're in cooperation with one another. We respect and encourage one another's ministries. We have to realize that we can uh, do one of two things in ministry. We can compete against one another or we can complete one another. And we're called to complete one another. I've seen people in churches get jealous when somebody else does good. There was even one lady in church, a church that she was known for being the best singer in the church. You know, she'd been the female vocalist, you know, uh, the best in the church for a long time. And everybody loved to hear her sing. She was very good. But a, a younger lady started coming to church, and word got out that this younger lady was a really, really good singer, and uh, over time, they were going to have her sing a special. And the lady who'd been there a long time, who was the long-standing favorite, was jealous and afraid that people would like her more than they did, you know, the new person more than her. And after the sound check, uh, that before she was going to sing, when the sound man had turned his back, slipped out of the sound booth, the lady who'd been there a long time slips into the sound booth and she knows which knobs to turn so that when the new lady gets up to sing later in the service, it would make everything, the sound would be distorted and feedback and wouldn't come out good in the house speakers and everything. You know, and um, listen, that is not playing well with others. All right? Um, so we should celebrate, and, you know, one of the most uh, moving stories I heard was a, a church that had a certain, I think it was a drummer, and he'd been faithful. He was a good drummer. He did okay, but um, this new guy started coming, and he was like studio musician level. I mean, he was professional level, and uh, the, the drummer who'd been there a long time went to the pastor and said, Pastor, you know, I've been the drummer for a long time, and and he said, I know my skill level. He said, I'm a good drummer. But he said, this new guy that has started coming to the church, and he's been faithful, he's a good man, he said, he is way above and beyond me. And he said, Pastor, I know I've been faithful, but this guy can help our worship team go way higher than I could ever take it. And he said, Pastor, here's what I want to do. I want to insist that you make him the main drummer. He said, I'll be available if he's not available. Uh, if you need me to fill in sometime, but he said, it's best for the team that I step aside. And he said, and pastor, don't worry, I'm going to stay faithful. I'll get involved in other areas. I will serve. But he said, you know, and sometimes we need to understand it, it's good to have faithful people, but at times we need quality, you know, in certain areas. And, um, and that's not to take anything away from faithful people, but sometimes we need the attitude that John the Baptist had where John the Baptist said, I, he must increase, I must decrease. Now, don't all of you go turn in a resignation, all right? And I know somebody can do better than me, but no, but there are some tangible situations where it is strategic that certain people be in certain positions, but, um, you know, and that's where we should have that attitude, you know, I'm here to serve. And if I can serve the best by stepping aside and letting somebody else step forward, and then I'll serve here, I'll contribute here, I'll do this. Um, but, but that's part of strategy. You know, strategically, uh, the church putting our best people in our best positions, and yet not forgetting that we still have to have the quality, the character, the faithfulness. It's not like we're just, you know, putting people in a position because of talent. You start putting people in positions because of talent when they don't have the character, and they don't have the right attitude, you know, that's an invitation for disaster. But um, at any rate, um, we, we want to get along well with our peers in ministry, not be in competition, not be jealous of one another. And we want to also uh, uh, work well with those under our supervision. If you are a leader, 
Uh, I have known of people who did a great job submitting to the pastor and treating him properly, but then they'd treat people under their authority terribly. And they would be super respectful to the pastor, but then they'd be disrespectful to people, you know, under their supervision. And, And what we need to understand is that everybody deserves respect. Everybody deserves honor. Certainly respect the pastor, but but everybody should be respected and treated with honor and dignity, you know, because regardless of their position, they're a child of God, so they should be loved, honored, and and that type of thing. So um, the one final thing I'll say this, and then we're going to open up for some questions here in a few minutes, but um, the other thing about um, being a great supportive minister is being flexible, being flexible. Being flexible, and I'll add another term, being growth-oriented. The words of a dying church are these. We've never done it that way before. You know, and it's kind of tricky because there are some areas that we need to be very careful about not changing. Like the gospel, I don't think we need to change the gospel. The Word of God, I don't think we need to change the Word of God. But there are issues relating to style and methods. And it's kind of like what Thomas Jefferson is said to have said. He said, allegedly, in matters of style, swim with the current. In matters of principle, stand like a rock. And so we need to know the difference between the negotiable and the non-negotiable. Um, I think sometimes, you know, change, and especially in the day and age in which we live, um, here's what my pastor friends tell me. My pastor friends tell me that there was a time when, you know, well, how do we make our church interracial where all people from different backgrounds feel comfortable and things like that? And and my pastor friends pretty much feel like they've got, you know, they've crossed that bridge. But they say now the challenge is how do we make our church multi-generational? They say we feel way more tension between old, young, middle-aged than we do between races. Um, and, and, and very often that's where the challenges are. How do we have a church that is able to appeal to the seasoned saints? And how do we have a church that appeals to baby, brand-new Christians? Because on one hand... You know, we don't want every sermon only apropos that, you know, that if you need the meat of the word, you've been walking with God 35 years, this message is for you. But if you're a relatively new Christian, sorry, you won't have a clue what we're talking about. But then how do you minister to some of the baby Christians and yet have the seasoned saints not say, well, I'm not getting fed anymore. You see what I'm talking about? And so there's, there's, um, there's challenges of spiritual chronology, spiritual maturity versus spiritual immaturity, and then just chronological. Um, I had one pastor friend, and he said, um, he said, you know, we're not wanting to offend anybody, but he said, I'll be honest with you, he said, I realized that some of the things we were doing were appealing to the older chronological saints, and we were really losing touch with young people. And he said, so I advised my worship leader." He said, I advised my worship leader, let's start mixing in some songs that would have more of an appeal to youth. And he's the worship leader said, well, pastor, I'll sure do that. He said, you know, we might offend some of our older people. And the pastor said, well, we'll just have to cross that bridge when we get there. And the pastor would try to say some things from the pulpit once in a while to say, you know, we want to, we want to appeal to a, a broad range of people. And, um, after they made some of these changes, an older lady came up to the pastor in the lobby and said, Pastor, I want to talk with you. Well, pastors have learned there are certain things that typically are not going to be good. Um, anytime a pastor receives a letter more than one page long, it's usually not good. Um, pastors are the only people in America that when the phone rings during dinner time, they're glad it's a telemarketer. Is that right, Pastor John? That's right. So this lady said, Pastor, I want to talk with you. And he said, yes, ma'am. And she said, it's about the music. And now he knows it's not going to be a good conversation. 
And she said, um, she's an older lady. She said, Pastor, I noticed that uh, we're singing some youthier, youth-oriented type songs. And he says, yes, ma'am, we are. And she said, uh, well, Pastor, I just want you to know. She said, uh, I, I don't like those songs a lot. She said, they're not my favorite. He says, this is the style. I don't like it very much. But she said, I want you to know this. She said, I've been praying for my grandson to be saved ever since he was born. And she said, I, I invite him to church quite a bit. And, and, and ever since you've changed up the music and he comes, he likes it better. And he's paying more attention. And she said, you know, I've been in this all my life. And she said, uh, I can listen to my music all week long at home. And she said, if you having some younger type music in some of the services will get people like my grandson more interested, maybe cause him to listen better, and I think that's going to help him get saved. She said, Pastor, I just want you to know I'm behind you a thousand percent. Isn't that cool? You know, I, I think back to what Paul said about Timothy. He said, everybody seeks their own. And we all like our, pre- how many of you like your preferences? Of course we like our preferences. That's what, and, um, but our mindset should be not to please ourselves, but what can be the most productive and effective for the kingdom of God? What will reach the most other people? And sometimes that means we have to get out of our own personal comfort zone. Sometimes that means being flexible. And uh, the greatest example of flexibility, that, of adaptability that's ever happened is when God became a man. You know, I'm telling you, Jesus had to have loved eternity with God the Father and God the Holy Ghost before he took on flesh and had to go through all the human experiences and things of that nature. But thank God for his willingness to be flexible, to not just seek his own comfort, but the benefit of others. And so, you know, God, and I'll just kind of wrap this up. God has called the body of Christ to be his representation in the earth. We are called to be his representative. And God deliberately designed us so that not one single person could do that as effectively as a team of us doing it together. And that is why as we opened this seminar today, I told you what Jesus prayed. He said, Father, I pray that they will be one, even as you and I are one. And he said, when their teamwork looks like our teamwork, and aren't you glad for the teamwork of the Trinity? Somebody planned, somebody was in authority, somebody was carrying out, somebody was doing follow-up, bringing into perfection. Because of their teamwork being so complete, um, our redemption is perfect. And the degree to which the church establishes that kind of unity, not just a passive unity of saying, yeah, we love each other, but a proactive unity where we're proactively working together taking the gifts and talents and skills that God's given us and doing them with an attitude of a servant and with faithfulness and with humility and uh, with deference to one another, then Jesus said to the degree that you emulate the teamwork of the Trinity, to that degree the world will believe and the world will know. And so that's where our witness is going to be powerful. It'll be a powerful witness within as we have strength through supporting one another, praying for one another, truly working together, but it'll also be a powerful witness without. Because people are so, uh, the world beats the daylights out of people. You realize that. And the world, even some of them that act like they're not, they're scared, they're insecure, they're fearful. When they can see a community of life, a community of people loving one another, uh, really pulling together, that's a great testimony. Of, of God's love. And I'll close with this story. You may have heard this. You may remember it. But I always close this seminar with this story about Jimmy Durante. Any of you remember that story? Uh, Jimmy Durante at the end of World War II was asked to be a part of a benefit for a military, uh, for soldiers coming back home that were injured after the war. He was a great entertainer, one of the most famous entertainers in the country at that time. And he really didn't have time to do this, but he went ahead and said he'd do it. And he said, just give me the first five minutes. And they were going to have other entertainers, and they were going to sell tickets and raise lots of money and use the money to help wounded veterans. And so the night of the performance comes, and Jimmy Durante goes out, and he's supposed to just do the first five minutes. But he goes out and does a little opening song, tells a joke or two, and does his little act. And, 
And, uh, man, the people just responded. They were standing ovations. They were laughing, clapping, applauding. They were just, you know, really a great, great night. And he goes 10 minutes. He goes 15 minutes. He goes 20 minutes. He ends up going 30 minutes and um, finally dismisses himself to another standing ovation and goes backstage. And, and uh, the, uh, he, he'd had another event that night across town. And so the director of the program there meets him and says, Oh, Mr. Drenny, how can we thank you? That was the greatest performance, but I'm so sorry. You, you, you've missed your other engagement across town. And uh, Jimmy Drenny said, Hey, it's all right. He said, But I want you to know why I stayed and gave a full performance. He said, Why well, couldn't just do five minutes? And, and the crowd is still in a standing ovation for him, and they, but he pulls the curtain back, and they look out, and right down on the front row are two U.S. servicemen. And uh, they were in their military uniforms, and what's immediately noticeable is that one of the guys had no right arm. He'd lost it in the war. And the other guy had no left arm. He'd lost it in the war. But the guy with no left hand had his right arm out doing this, and the guy who had no right arm had his left arm out doing this. And they were applauding, each using the one hand that they had. And big smiles on their faces. And Jimmy Durante said, I want you to know, I didn't miss my other performance and stay here, give a full performance because of the thousands of people in this crowd. He said, I stayed and gave my best for these two guys. When I saw their sacrifice, their commitment, and their attitude, he said, I couldn't give them five minutes. I, I had to give them the very best I had to give. And I want you to know, I really believe this with all my heart, we are like those two soldiers. Because every single one of us is deficient by God's design. God didn't give me, didn't give you all of the gifts that were necessary. We have gifts differing, the Bible says, according to the grace that is given us. And God, in his wisdom, deliberately gave me a, a, a few gifts, but deliberately didn't give me a whole bunch of gifts because you've got the gifts I don't have. And so I have to find out, I have to realize, number one, what I don't have and admit I don't have that. And then I have to use what I have, but I have to lean into somebody who's got gifts different than me. And that's what makes the church powerful. That's what makes the church awesome. When we know that God is the giver of every gift, so we can use what we have, but we can be so appreciative of the gifts we don't have. Walk in unity. Find the people that are gifted where we're not. And then we can overcome being deficient by design, but only as we work with other people who have gifts that we don't have. And that's why Paul needed a Timothy. That's why Moses needed a Joshua. That's why David needed a Jonathan. That's why Jesus needed us because he certainly has all the gifts necessary, but he's not here anymore. He's left us in charge. He's, he's given us the assignment of being his representatives on the earth. And we all just have a little portion. We, we're each like a piece of the puzzle. Uh, but we have to make sure that we're geared toward fitting in. If we, don't, if we don't fit in with the team, we're like a car that has a tire that's out of alignment. And when a tire's out of alignment, it causes the road, the drive to be unpleasant. It causes unweave, uneven wear, creates friction, vibration, and things like that. We need to be in alignment with vision, with purpose, with cooperation, and so on. And then we can have a smooth ride, and we can get where God wants us to go. Amen? Amen. Hey, before we close, uh, real quickly, are there any questions? And Pastor John, do you have any questions you'd like addressed or why don't say, Tony, why don't you tell them this or just, just let them? What kind of questions do you have? Any questions, concerns, comments, thoughts, reflections? How many of you saw something where somebody else needs to straighten up? How many of you know the old song, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, dear Lord, standing in the need of prayer? Question somewhere, somewhere? Yes, sir, right there in the middle.
awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate that very much. Thank you. Way, way in the back. Yes, sir, I see that hand. Amen. Go ahead and give Pastor John a hand. And Anita. Amen. Now, let me just say something. Pastor, Pastor John just did this, but that's the one time you don't have to obey your pastor. Is when you're giving him a standing ovation, he tells you to sit down. That you can disobey. All right? Everything else, do what he says. <laughs> Pastor John, you are loved and appreciated. Need as well. Love you guys. Uh, sir, in the red, you had your hand up? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you so much. And, you know, brother, you bring up a great point because some people say, I serve God. But one of the ways we one of the ways we serve God is by serving one another. And it's easy to say we serve God because he's perfect. He's flawless. But how do we serve one another when we're flawed and imperfect and things like that? Well, you know, one of the things that we do is we we go back to that golden rule. You know, how would we want other people to do us? And um you know, I know when I've made mistakes, man, I sure want people to be gracious and overlook those and cut me some slack and give me room to grow and things like that. We all have to do that with one another. So um, that's very good. But we do. One of the ways we serve God is by serving one another. Amen. Other hands? Other, yes, way back there, sir, in the plaid. Well, good. Good. Praise the Lord. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Yes, ma'am, right over here. I'm a director for, and yesterday um, my vice president told me that two of the departments was going to be moved to another director, and um, I was offended. Um, And everything you said not to do, that's what I did yesterday. (laughs) 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 So... So God's timely, but um, I basically sat in front of the vice president and told her she was wrong, <laughs> and I thought she was making a mistake, and um, all the reasons why, you know, I told her it wasn't about me, but inside it was about me, and it was about, you know, authority and power and all that other other stuff, and, um, you know, I immediately went home and, you know, went online and was looking for a new job, <laughs> and... Uh, you know, because I didn't want her to tell me that this was the move she was going to make because I can do it better than anyone else. And um, I wouldn't do that here. I wouldn't do that with Pastor John. And, um, you know, we're ambassadors for the Lord, so we need to be the same way in the, in the, in the outside world. We need to submit to authority. And um, when I went into that job, I thought God you know, gave me the job and blessed me with the job. And now I was doing something totally different. And so, um, I think I'll spend the rest of the day repenting this afternoon, <laughs> but I did, um, you know, I was telling Gary over lunch, I'm like, God is so, so timely because he gave me all my answers today. So for me to go back and, you know, and talk to my boss and say, I'm going to give you 100% you know, and support you and, you know, let things happen the way they're supposed to happen. So, Pastor John, I want to thank you for the timeliness of bringing um, um, Tony here. Um, And he just gives us all the answers that we need. So we just need to trust him. So thank you. Thank you you so much. Your name is not Josephina, is it? No? Joanne. Joanne, that's what... Joseph was one of those guys that looked like everything was, and God just, you know, he'd go down for a little bit, but then he'd do well, and then he'd come back up, and every time he'd come back, he'd come back higher and higher, and so we believe God's a God of favor, and um, like we said earlier, we can't control every circumstance. Life throws us some things. What we can control with God's help is our attitude about those circumstances, and the circumstances just happen because we're part of an imperfect fallen world. But I really believe if we keep our heart, our attitudes right, and thank God for your humbleness, you know, 
responding to God in that way, um, then he can do amazing things with us. So circumstances can take us down, but they can't keep us down. Only, only our attitude can keep us down, and uh, then God's going to take us right back up. Sir, right here. Thank you for your ministry of encouragement. I can remember taking a walk in a prison uh, complex with someone, and we, we walked about 100 yards, and I said, hey, nice day today, isn't it? Yeah, but it's going to rain. Well, you know, the ducks will be happy. Yeah, but I hate ducks. And it was all, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. For a hundred years, really, it was amazing. It was like check, checkmate, check, checkmate, the whole. But I, I want to thank you for, you know, taking us on a walk much further than a hundred yards that it's about but God. And that's, I want to thank you for that, sir. Thank you, sir. God bless you. There is a hand over right here. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Pastor Cook, for being here. My, I have a question. Uh, what John just said, why is it easy to obey a church and is, is hard at work to deal with our boss? Yeah, very good. Uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to First Peter. First Peter. This is where it, uh, it can be very, very challenging. And I hope that I can quickly find the verse I am looking for. There's a principle that has to do with walking in a fallen world. And I would even say this, walking in a uh, fallen world that is sometimes hostile. Um, hopefully at church, you know, our relationships and, and, and you can run into some folks at church that just really try your patience um, because maybe they're somehow, um, you know, still in a sanctification process and... There, you want to get the T-shirt that says, I've got one nerve left and you're on it? <laughs> I saw a scarier T-shirt than that once at a Walmart, and it said, if I snap, you're the first one to go. <laughs> so, so I want to be nice to that person. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, Peter said this, and, and I'm telling you, do you ever read the Sermon on the Mount and say, wow, turn the other cheek? Be good to those that despitefully use you. Pray for those. Bless them that curse you. I mean, that stuff is challenging. You, you and I will never do that if we are flesh-ruled. And we'll never do that if we feel like, you know, vengeance is mine, saith me. Um. Peter said this, 1 Peter 2.18, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering longfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. And here's the real key, verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Those are challenging words. Uh, because there's something in our human nature that, you know, wants to get even, that we want justice, we want, and, uh, and God's interested in justice. Don't misunderstand me. It's just sometimes we try to go about it the wrong way. And here's something that always will help us if we remember this. You will never get ahead in life by responding carnally to somebody else's carnality. If you let, and I think this is a lot of what inspired Dr. King in his, his approach. Um, if you stoop to their level, 
then you become as bad as them. And we are called as believers, we are called to find our identity in Christ, not in the opinions of other people. So if you revile me, if you think ill of me, I have to have enough security in Christ that I know who I am. And that if you are ugly, if you mistreat me, if you, you know, are whatever, then what you are doing is a reflection of who you are. It's not a reflection of who I am. We have to know who we are. And I I remember hearing the story of a boy, a young kid in school. His dad was the superintendent of schools. And this young guy had great grades, and he actually played an instrument, uh, cello or something, and he actually won the state championship in cello for his grade level. And because there had been a dispute between the superintendent, he was the superintendent's son, and the teachers um, over salary and contract, things of that nature, uh, they did not vote for this boy to get into the National Honor Society. And he should have. You know, he was a state champion in, in an area. And he had, perf, you know, great grades. And his dad sat down with him and said, son, I am so sorry. He said, you deserve to be in National Honor Society. He said, the teachers are mad at me because of the negotiations. And he said, I'm so sorry that you did not get the honor that you deserved. And the boy thought about it for a second. He said, Dad, he said, that's okay. He said, I don't need them to know who I am. And that's something when we can take, uh, we take power away from other people when we are secure in who we are in Christ. It doesn't mean that some of those things may not hurt our feelings, or, and it certainly doesn't mean that things may not be frustrating, but there's, there's that, that something on the inside of us that rises up and says, I'm not going to let your sin get me into sin. I'm not going to let your carnality get me into carnality. I am who I am. And one of the great examples of this would be Daniel. Because Daniel, uh, he, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's delicacies. And, man, he was smack dab in the middle of, of a, a schooling situation with all the, the magicians and all the people into the occult and things like that. But God made him ten times better. And yet he became the object of attack as well. You know, they were jealous of him, so they set up that deal to set up a law about prayer, and Daniel got thrown into the lion's den. And so we just have to have determined that, you know, we are in a long string of folks who have been, um, and we don't have it anywhere near as bad as people in many countries. You know, when I read about things going on in the Middle East and Christians being burned alive and just all the horrible things, you know, what we suffer seems pretty small, but still it's bothersome. You know, in our own immediate context, it's bothersome. But those principles of, um, you know, nonviolence, but, and I know you weren't talking about that, but um, those principles of, of letting who we are uh, be so powerful because of who's in us that over time we rise above. And I've known people who, you know, one of my missionary friends in uh, Panama, uh, they were trying to do something for the gospel, and they just had a civil leader that was just being a pain. And it's like that civil leader, that government leader, just was going to do anything and everything he could to shut them down and get them to keep from getting the gospel out. And I think it had to do with the radio permit that they were trying to get going and and all that. And um, so the government was just as ugly as they could be to him, ridiculous, you know, m- making them jump through all kinds of unnecessary things. And uh, he, he just did what the Bible says. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. And I don't remember in that particular case what happened, but that guy got yanked out of office and God put somebody else in and that was favorable toward them and helped them and things like that. So some of these things just take time. But, um, and we don't like this, but they are great character-building moments for us. 
So it, when we run into those situations, just realize, you know, I've got something here that, you know, when Jesus said, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it ain't heaven yet, okay? Uh, but, but we're going to grow in godliness in the meantime. And, and, and what the enemy means to be a tombstone, you're going to turn into a stepping stone. What the enemy means to be a stumbling block, you're going to t- turn into a building block. But we're only going to do that as we keep ourselves right on the inside. So one final question, and we need to go. Yes, right there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That is such a good question, Miranda. Thank you. How do you, what do you do if you're in a position where you can do stuff, but you can't necessarily use your specific gift? And uh, I think a lot of people run into that. And what I have seen over the years is that most people will start in a general area where it's not their gift. Matter of fact, when I became an assistant pastor, pretty much what I wanted to do is teach behind the pulpit. And everything that the pastor gave me had to do with everything but that. Matter of fact, I thought he didn't know how to listen to God because I thought, but what I found out was he gave me all these assignments. I'm thinking, I'm not gifted for that. I'm not gifted for that. But sometimes we just have to be faithful. Areas where we're not gifted, and it's when we're faithful in areas that we're not gifted that God opens the doors for where we are gifted. And, and what happened for me, this was to my benefit because I had to do a lot of things in areas where I wasn't gifted. It gave me a broader appreciation for ministry. So even though I wasn't gifted or called to work in those areas, once I became, began to teach and do things, I was able to teach better because of my experience in those areas where I wasn't gifted and called. So no time serving God is wasted time. So there's a verse in the Bible that says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And um, so whether you're called or not called, whether you're gifted or not gifted, just be faithful. Now, here's what you'll find, Miranda. The longer you serve God, the, the longer you're in it, the more you're able to be specialized. But when you're younger or when you're in a new place, starting out or a new phase, don't be afraid. Just be broad, be general. And really, it's like that in a lot of areas. You know, if you were studying to be a doctor, let's say you want to be a brain surgeon, your first day out of medical school, you're not going to be operating on brains. Your first day out of medical school, when you go into residency, or maybe that's part of it, but they're going to, if you want to be a brain surgeon, they're going to have you work in emergency room, uh, pediatrics, obstetrics, psychiatric. They're going to have you working in all these different areas, and eventually you'll get into brain surgery. So don't be afraid to be generalized, and I know you're not but uh, God will open up your specialized doors in due season. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for hungry hearts. I thank you for people that love you so much. And, Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for every church represented here. And, Lord, I just believe you're taking this church and others as well from glory to glory from strength to strength and from faith to faith. And, Lord, I know that long before I got here, you've been doing awesome, wonderful, mighty things, and you're working things after the counsel of your will. And I pray, Lord, that some of the things that have been heard today will accentuate that, will add to that, will uh, make that even stronger in people's hearts and lives. And, Father, we just declare no weapon formed against this church will prosper. No weapon formed against your people will prosper. Father, those distractions that the enemy sends to try to get us off track, Father, we just, we're just going to keep our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith, and he's the Lord and the head of this church. And, Father, we just submit ourselves and thank you for the privilege and the honor of serving you. You are so good to us, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you so much. Thank you. Miranda, I just want to say something. The scripture that I held on to for years 
when I couldn't use the gift that was in me was God says, a man's gift will make room for him. I never, ever asked for a place to utilize my gift, but I've always said, God, you will make room wherever you want it used. And I'm convinced I wouldn't be in the place I am now if I hadn't done that. Just see for a minute. I want to share one thing with you, and then we're going to dismiss you. Um, when Tony asked, is there anything I wanted to share? And I was going to ask, try to explain something to you, but there's something on my heart that just really feels the Spirit of God right now. Many, Most of you, and even from your testimonies, I'm, I'm hearing that this morning. Your heart's been touched, and, and it's enlivened because of your hearing, your hearing truth taught to you that touches something that's already in your heart. You're here today because of what is already in your heart. There's nothing been put into your heart today that wasn't there. It's just been touched by the Spirit of God and by the gift of Tony that God's given to him to enliven that in you. The greatest need I have as a pastor would be if I could take and duplicate you right now. If I could take what's in this room right now and just literally just, just duplicate it, not multiply it, just duplicate it right now, this church would go to a new level. And I'm sitting there thinking, what do I, there's something in my heart to share, and it's this. I can stand up here day in and day out and say that because, as he said, the statistic is that only about 20% of the people are involved, and that's about true here. I can stand from the pulpit and say, we need people in this ministry. We need people. The people are going to not, because I'm the professional, they expect me to say that. And it fits in with this old paradigm which is the pastor's the leader. God tells him what to do. He does the work, and we're just kind of out there to help him. I'm a facilitator to help train and equip and facilitate the body of Christ to identify, find their gifts, and be prepared, and then engage and use them. You are already doing that, and I'm saying that for this. The greatest salespeople for being involved in ministry is you. It's not me, because you tasting something that's contagious. And what's, what I sense in my spirit is all of you have something to give to this church by simply sharing what you've gotten out of serving with opportunities as they come across your path. It doesn't mean you've got to take out a full-page ad in the Providence Journal. But when you run across people and you get in casual conversations, say, you know what, I'm involved in this. It's changed my life. It's had this effect on me. And the only reason I really have a sense of my spirit that most of you don't do it is you don't realize what impact you can have by doing this. We come in, faithfully do what you're called to do, do it diligently and faithfully, and don't realize that we can also multiply this by just beginning to tell people just your own testimony of what God has done in your life. And I believe as you do that, the Spirit of God is going to take what's in you and the excitement and the joy, the things that have happened in you, and multiply it in here. And so I just, I just have a sense of challenging all of us to do that because I know God is bringing us to an, another level, but it's going to take more people serving and involved, even if it's just for the sake of what they're going to get out of it, let alone for the sake of what God wants to do here. Again, as I started this morning, thank you so much. You are, you are, we are, I'm so blessed as a pastor because of you and your attitude and so much of what was talked about today is really already going on here and we just sometimes just need to be reminded of it but i just want to thank you on behalf of anita and i for for your faithfulness your prayers your love and thank you for coming out today you're sitting through all of this and learning and growing and just want to challenge us we're going forth into a very exciting time because as i've shared with you this church has been here for 35 years going through all kinds of things it's come, Pastor Sam was dragged up here, drug as he said, up here. And where I really believe we're coming to the point where what all of this has been about is about to come true. So appreciate you all. God bless you. Thank you for your prayers. And we'll see you in church tomorrow. Be in your church if you're not from Pastor Center.